are listening to Saturday Morning Rewind with Tim and Gary. Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel, command it. And don't forget, fans, be sure and listen to Saturday Morning Rewind with Tim Nidell. Thundercats, ho! Hey, what's up, Toonsters? Welcome to another exciting episode of Saturday Morning Rewind. I am your host, Tim. And I am your co-host, Gary. So on today's episode, it's going to be a pretty amazing episode. Um, we have a very special interview that we, me and Gary did with Gary K. Wolf, the man that gave you Roger Rabbit. He's the author of the three books, um, Who Censored Roger Rabbit, Who Plugged Roger Rabbit, and Who Whacked Roger Rabbit. Without him, there would not be a Who Framed Roger Rabbit movie, which everybody should love. If you don't, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Yeah, you're um, doing something wrong. Yeah. And we have a special, another third co-host, Jeff Heimbuck. Hello. Oh, round of applause. Thank you. Yeah. I'm bowing, too. You can't see it, but I'm bowing. <laughs> Jeff, man, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm way psyched to be here. Don't lie. I'm not <laughs> lying. I never lie about anything. Except for, oh, I should. Don't. Don't you dare. <laughs> for you people who listen to the Live Fast, Die Poor podcast, you probably know what I wanted to say, but I I won't get into it yet. Maybe when we have Justin on, we can talk about it. Uh... <laughs> so tell us, uh, tell everybody about yourself, where you're from, you know, podcasts you do, and, you know, just give us a quick bio on, on uh, Jeff. Let's see. I am Jeff Highbuck, uh, originally from the wonderful Garden State of New Jersey, but I moved out to glorious California two years ago, and I don't plan on moving back ever because it's great here. Um, I host co-host Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show, which is a theme park pro- podcast. Uh, we do it every week, and I'm also part of the Live Fast, Die Poor crew, where we do all sorts of shenanigans all the time. It's true. I see it on on uh, YouTube and, and Facebook all the time. Yes, way too many things are happening on that and Instagram and Snapchat. It's just a vacation from it. <laughs> I can't imagine. It's, <laughs> you're getting too old to do that. I am. I am. Even though <laughs> Justin is only like slightly older than I am, he's a lot to handle. He's a handful. <laughs> uh, I try to get him on the show and he just disappears. He's awfully squirrely. I don't even know where he is. I think he's in Northern California now. Uh, so before we keep talking... I wanted to do, you actually are our very first, like, co-host to come on. We've interviewed a lot of people, but you're the first co-host, so thank you so much. Like, guest co-host? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we wanted to do something (laughs) for our co-hosts, and this is something that we came up with. When there's something weird in your neighborhood, who you gonna call? Jeff Jeff Heinbach? Oh, man, that was wonderful. Can that be my ringtone? Can you send that to me? I can send that to you, yes. As long as you tell everybody where it came from, yes. Oh, Justin's going to have a field day with that one. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, when we... I want to have you back on. You know, you can come on whenever you want. We can just play that just to let people know that you're here. That is amazing. (laughs) I I applaud you, good sirs. Well done. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. I came up with the idea, and that's actually Gary in vocals, so. <laughs> this is the first time, aside from Communicore Weekly, that I have my own theme song. That's great. <laughs> and, and this will uh, coincidentally also be my first ringtone, so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, okay, before we get into we're going to talk about, you have a couple books I want to talk about. You have the podcast I want to talk about. But before we do that, I want to talk about 
the voice actors celebrating birthdays for the month of March. Let me just say that this month has two of the biggest still living voice actors celebrating birthdays. March 11th, we have Rob Paulson. Here's a little bit of audio for that. I think so, Bray, but me and Pippi Longstocking, I mean, what would the children look like? <laughs> Rob is amazing. Uh, I've tried to get him on the show. He keeps saying no because he has his own thing going on, but I'm going to keep trying. I've actually interviewed him once before, like 10 years ago from my old website, and uh, that audio is not really good because I wasn't really that good at interviewing people. But uh, <laughs> So yeah, March 11th, Rob Paulson, happy birthday. We also have probably my favorite voice actor still alive celebrating his birthday on March 12th. We have Frank Welker. Woo. I'm sure you know who, who Frank Wilker is, Jeff. I do. I love... That's a nice little voice clip you have for him, too. Oh. It's also going to give me nightmares tonight. I forgot about that voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Frank, yeah, he's amazing. I actually made a video, what is it, like a month ago, two months ago now, of 80-plus voices of Frank Wilker I put on YouTube, so everybody go check that out. Uh, it's, pretty, it's getting pretty good hits, but it always can use some more. Um, I put a lot of rare stuff in there that I've seen. I haven't seen other people do on YouTube, mm-hmm. so it's a really cool find. I think. Yeah, even I learned a few things from it, and I didn't think I could. That's right. Like <laughs> like grimace from uh, McDonald's. Yep. Wait, what? Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's <Yep>. awesome. <laughs> yeah, his his career list is one of the longest on IMDb. I think. All right, so Gary, why don't you tell us real quick about the new DVD releases for the month of March? All right, so uh, March is one of those rare months where we actually get five Tuesdays, and uh, that said, we're not really getting anything that great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) One one would hope, but uh, the best things that I could uh, highlight for this month are um, we are getting the part one of season three of Nickelodeon's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, which they they do a great storyline in the first half of the or the first part of the third season where they're actually in upstate New York hiding out in a cabin. Uh, it's a nod to the old movie and a nod to the 2003 series, I think. Um, in addition to that, we are also getting uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse season three, four, and five, Ooh. and both of those are coming out on the same day in uh, March 10th. Uh, one week later, we've got in uh, honor, I suppose, or I don't know. A co- I think a year or two ago, they did a WWE Scooby Doo crossover because uh, yeah. people were asking for it. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, but uh, it's yes, uh, the Flintstones. It. Uh, but now they're bringing the Flintstones in to uh, hang out with wrestlers and uh, the Stone Age SmackDown. So uh, that might be something people like. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's nice to see the Flintstones, Flintstones again yes, in an sure. original movie. But uh, I'm not a really big wrestling fan, at least modern day, so it's kind of hard for me to gain too much interest. The following week, we have the new live-action Disney movie, Into the Woods, which I have not seen. Have either of you seen it? I, I did. You did? Did you like it? Uh, <clears throat> I, I did. I actually uh, have been in the show before uh, in college, so I was kind of curious to see if they would Disneyfy the film at all. And they kind of didn't, which I was surprised at, so I, I, I enjoyed it. Cool. All right. Yeah, I was actually in the um, pit crew for it uh, in a stage production of it at one point and playing uh, drums, I believe. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so so I have a little bit of a tie to it. I just never saw the movie. 
Um, and then last but not least, and this isn't really cartoon related, but it's a movie that people are talking a lot about, and I know Tim loves it, and um, I liked it. It's Interstellar. That's coming out March 31st. So uh, I've still not seen it, but what? I want to see it so bad. It's Chris Nolan, man. Come on. I know. <laughs> I know. I just couldn't get a couldn't get to the theaters in time to to check it out before it was gone. I just want to see it in IMAX. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's, it's it definitely good. probably would be worth seeing that it's, in IMAX. It's not, it's not his best work, but you know, you can't go wrong with him, so Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's one I definitely want to get a second viewing of to yeah, uh, form exactly. a full opinion. Yep. But uh, that's pretty much it for the month of March. Um, not a whole lot, but there's a lot of little kids stuff coming out. But you'll be able to read all of that on the Facebook page. So uh, like us on Facebook and learn everything that comes out in the month of March. Yep, all those links could be on our website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. we got Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitch, YouTube. All the links are on that website there. So go check it out. And uh, we'll just take a quick break. Oh, that sucked. Let's go take a take. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi guys, Freakazoid here. Don't freak out, but Saturday Morning Rewind will be right back after a quick word from their sponsor. Oh, and don't forget to fly over to their site at SaturdayMorningRewind.com. <gasps> As a young boy in Marceline, Missouri, Walt Disney played Peter Pan in one of his favorite stories in a school play. He used to say in Disneyland, an adult is just a grown-up child. Well, here at the Neverland Podcast, we'll talk about heroes like Spider-Man, He-Man, and others that taught us how to do what's right because right makes might. We're like Saturday morning's all-in-one podcast. Join us every week to go to Disney and beyond at NeverlandPodcast.com. (laughs) well back to the show guys oh guys guys aroni tim gary guys all right welcome back now gary is going to tell us uh, gives a two-minute review of kingsman the secret service gary Okay, let me start the timer here. And here we go. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about the new movie, Kingsman, The Secret Service. I should pause briefly to say that while this is generally a G-rated podcast, there will be a couple of PG-rated words in this review. Kingsman, The Secret Service is based off of a graphic novel written by Mark Millar of Kick-Ass and Wanted fame and Dave Gibbons of Watchmen fame. The movie is directed by Matthew Vaughn, who did exceptional work on X-Men First Class and stars Colin Firth, Samuel L. Jackson, Taron Egerton, and Michael Caine, as well as a brief but great cameo from Mark Hamill. Anyone who's read the graphic graphic novel will understand the irony of his appearance in the movie. I went into the theater not quite sure what to expect from this movie, but the trailers made me feel pretty confident that it would be at the very least a fun experience. From the opening shot of the movie featuring one of my favorite songs, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits, I knew that I was going to be in for quite the ride. This movie takes the spy genre and just kind of flips it on its head. Uh, Where this movie holds its strength is in its confidence as well as its humor. In a world of very dark and heavy Bond films, and don't get me wrong, I think the Craig films are some of the best Bond films, but they lack a certain charm and humor that the character used to display. The action sequences in this movie are amazing, 
Uh, probably some of the best that I've seen in a long time. It's a strangely but somewhat perfectly paced movie, too. It goes from being a potty mouth, semi-violent flick to a total violence fest towards the end of the movie. And I won't give away the story because, well, I mean, I've only got two minutes here, but I would say that this is a movie that is absolutely worth your time. It won't be for everyone, but if you love to kick ass, love comic books, or love violence, you should definitely see this movie. And if only the last one applies, then maybe also a therapist. I would totally recommend this movie to anyone, and I give it a solid 5 out of 5. And time. So you can read the full review for this movie and many other reviews at SaturdayMorningRewind.com. All right, thanks, Gary. Now we're going to talk to our buddy here, Jeff Heimbuck. Hello, I'm yeah, still here. you can finally talk now. Okay, good. <laughs> I was holding my breath the entire time. I was turning yeah. colors. That's insane. That's impressive. It is. I don't know what colors because I'm colorblind, but I was definitely <laughs> turning colors. <laughs> okay, so I picked up your book a couple weeks ago now, The Main Street Windows. Hooray! Hooray! I got the hardcover because I can't go paperback. I can't go electronic. Yeah, if there's an option for the hardcover, I always go for the hardcover. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it looks nice on the shelf, too. And it's nice. I don't know. It's got this nice feel to it, too. It's really cool. Uh, you know, it's because the first book, what we did, it's kind of a cute story. Everybody had a comment about how the cover felt because it <laughs> felt so different from every other book. So when it came time to do this book, I went to my new publisher. I'm like, I don't care what you have to do, but I want the same type yep, of cover. Yep, I like it. <laughs> and he pulled it off. I've got a couple books that do that, but not many, though. It's got, I don't know. It's got, like, a soft texture to it. It's weird. Yeah, it's kind of like a pillow in a way. So yeah. you can you can read it in bed and just cuddle up next to it and just dream sweet dreams of windows. That's what I've been doing. Oh, well, <laughs> I, wait. I, I also purchased it, but mine is on Kindle, so mine feels like a Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> I so, mean, that could be kind of soft, too, if you have a soft cover for it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... The weird thing is, I've been to Disneyland, it's not as much as you have, of course, but I'm in Montana. I've been there, what, six times now? I never noticed so many windows. There is a ton. It's actually, you know, there's more at um, the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, but there is a ton uh, at all the Disney theme parks. All the Magic Kingdom-style parks, there's a ton of windows, and I've always looked at them and gone, man, I wish somebody would, like, write something about all these people. I don't (laughs) want to know what it means. And then I did. And thank you. <laughs> yeah, I did. There's so many. Do you have a favorite one? Um, I'm going to be biased. I actually have two. The first one is definitely going to be Rolly's. That goes without yeah. saying. I just really like the design of his, and I like that he has a, a sign outside of his window as well to go along with it. But I also really like Dick Nunes's window at Disneyland because it makes reference. Uh, it says uh, Wave Machine's a specialty, and I love the story about him creating the wave machine at Walt Disney World Resort. So those are definitely my two favorites. That's very cool. Yeah, I like... Who was it? The big and tall one. Who was that one? Big and tall is... Man, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I was trying to find it earlier. I couldn't find it. I don't remember who it is off the top of my head. I just That one was just funny to me. Because I'm, I'm, I'm six foot four, so it kind of can relate, So it I applies. Guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is I'm, a very cool book. And like I said, I did not realize there's so many. You always see the ones on Main Street, of course, but... Yeah. And you don't realize that there's also some hidden throughout the other sections of, yeah. at least Disneyland as well, um, you know, paying tribute to people. But, I mean, it did start as a Main Street tradition, and it still is, you know, a Main Street tradition. It's very rare that they add a window somewhere else in the park. But yeah. uh, No, how did you get the I stuff? I think it's, uh, like, the it is the highest honor you can get. How did you get the stuff from Tokyo and the other parks? 
Um, I would like to say that I took a trip there myself, but I would be lying. Um, <laughs> when I started writing the book and I was like, well, at first it was just going to do Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom. And I was like, no, I should really include the other parks too. I don't know how I'm going to get there though. And I just luckily happened to have friends who were going to those parks who happened to be photographers. Um, so they were kind enough to go and take photos for me. Um, one of them even went with a video camera and walked up and down uh, Tokyo Disneyland's uh, World Bazaar to make sure I had it all in the right order. Yeah. So it, it just happened to be friends being in the right place at the right time, which worked out uh, really nicely for me. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Gary, anything you want to add since you've also read the book? Um, not really. It's kind of hard for me as, as yeah, never, never uh, I have never there. been to the park, but now I know what to look for. So that's kind of that's kind of cool because I would have probably not paid that close of attention uh, my first time there. So yeah, for for your first time, your your attention is probably going to be drawn towards the castle and you know walking down Main Street, and you're probably not going to look too much up at the windows. But I mean, right. now you can impress your friends and family. Like, hey, Woo-hoo. this is what this guy did. <laughs> it's like the it's like the new hidden Mickey game. Exactly, right. exactly. But they're all in the same place. <laughs> That's yeah, absolutely. Unfo- well, not unfortunately, but I, I will be going there with Tim, so I, I won't really impress him too much. But I'll try. <laughs> yeah, I kind of know a lot about Disney, not as much as Jeff knows, I'm sure. But yeah, I've been a huge Walt Disney freak since I was a little kid. So I've learned everything that I could outside of the park, um, and Good. soon well, I hope to learn fun. the park as well. <laughs> and then you'll be addicted, and you'll want to go back yep. for every vacation. Yeah, absolutely. Once a year for me, and once a year is not very cheap when you live in Montana. No, yeah. it is not. It's not even cheap living no. 20 minutes away from Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so where can people find this book? I got mine from Amazon. I'm sure people can get it from there, too. But do you sell them on your site or anything? Or uh, Yeah, you can. Also, you, we're actually selling signed copies on OrchardHillPress.com. Um, and, you know, it's the same price as, as Amazon, but I, will, I can personalize it to people as well, and we get it out to you pretty quickly. But, I mean, yeah, you can get it at all online booksellers and even in some bookstores and maybe, hopefully, one day in Disneyland. We're trying to work that out with them right now. Nice. Wow. Sounds like I need to bring my copy to the D23 convention to get that one signed. Heck yes. I'd be more than happy to. Woohoo! From Jeff Heimbach? Future eBay winner. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, yeah, um, I don't know what else. To, we already talked about your other podcasts, which I love, both of them. I just found Communicore Weekly a week and a half ago, I think it was. I didn't know I even, even did that one. Oh, man. Did you start from the beginning? or you? No, I started with, with current ones, yeah. Okay, good. Because people <laughs> often say, I just found it, and I started from the beginning, and I'm always like, oh, God, don't do that, because yeah. it's so bad. No, as, as a fellow podcaster, <laughs> I completely understand. We got so much better as the years went on, I, yeah. I promise. But yeah, we're we're currently in season four, um, episode, actually, today that we're recording this podcast, um, uh, episode 163 just went up, um, and it, I love it. It started as a Disney podcast, and now we kind of cover all sorts of theme park stuff, and... Um, so we're kind of all over the map with our theme park stuff, but I, I love it. I think it's it's a lot of fun, and I enjoy doing it with uh, George every week. Yeah, it's great. I, I love the the um, the bumpers, the audio bumpers, the songs. Man, those bumpers in my mind they totally make the show. I think, uh, I think so too. George's brother is a musical genius, and him and his writing partner Steve, like whatever we ask for, within days, like they'll have a new bumper <laughs> for us, and it's always amazing. I've never heard a bad yeah. bumper from them. No, it's great. I, I, as soon as I heard the ex- the intro, I, I had you guys's song stuck in my head for an entire day a couple of days you're ago. welcome 
<laughs> yeah, every every season they actually go back and they redo the intro. So like if you listen, like season one has a different intro, season two, season three, and this one um is my favorite because I have like the horns thrown in and everything. It's just it's just incredible. Yeah. That's pretty great. Go check that out. It's Communicore Weekly on are you guys on iTunes, Stitcher, and that kind of stuff? Yes, iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, we're also on uh, the the video version versions on livefastdiepoor.com as well. For those of you who like uh, photos to accompany your podcast, <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I'm, then... I'm, I haven't listened to that yet, but I'm definitely going to check it out on mm, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, learn some of your Disney history before you get here. There's a there's a handful of things that might be interesting to you as a first yeah, time I think park so. goer. I think okay. so. Like some of the stuff you guys talk about, I knew. But I think as a newcomer, I think he learned a lot and, and really enjoyed it. He'll actually enjoy the park more knowing that stuff. Yeah, a deeper right. appreciation knowing the history behind some of this uh, crazy stuff in the park. We usually like to look at like really obscure stuff that not a lot of people talk about. Um, yeah. Like the Bob Brown boats in um, Walt Disney World Resort. Like that, That's the kind of stuff we aim for. But we do go for like the normal attraction histories, too, that you know some people may not know the full story behind them. So we like to talk about those, too. Yeah. Okay. It's cool. exciting. I look forward to it every week. Yay! Even though I've only listened for a week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, all right. Let's go. And last episode, we started a brand new segment. It's our voicemail segment. So if you guys want to call that, <clears throat> excuse me, if you guys want to call that, our voicemail number is 406-214-4451. And we did get a couple of voicemails that I'm going to play now. Hey, this is Zeke the Cat, and you've reached the voicemail of Saturday Morning Rewind. So leave a message after the beep, and remember, it never hurts to help. Yo there, guys. My name is Jacob Russell, and uh, I've kept an eye on the show for for a while, and uh, I wanted to ask you guys some, something. Um, have you ever heard of the Encyclopedia of Animated Cartoons? It's a book I have that's by this guy named Jeff Lindbergh. He wrote a about three editions of it. I have the most recent one, so what would you guys think if there was about a fourth one coming out? So I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> Saturday morning rewind. I've heard of you. <laughs> I'm a big fan. And if you know who this is, I want to tell you that I am ready to take on the world, Gotham, and all your listeners. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Let's celebrate together. This is the plan. I made a boo-boo. Time to edit. Oh, my. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. First, let me say thank you guys so much for those voicemails. And second of all, that joker i think was pretty amazing that was yeah fantastic <laughs> i think i got chills <laughs> when i first heard it, i was like is that mark hamill calling <laughs> um, am i in arkham asylum what's happening right now <laughs> <laughs> no that, that was great he also did a few other ones but i just kind of wanted to keep it at two for right now maybe next week if next episode if we don't get very many more i can throw some more in there but keep those voicemails coming you know ask us a question comment on previous episodes i don't care tell us how much you hate jeff i don't know <laughs> I, I do get a lot of hate mail <laughs> so well, yeah I, 
go, sorry, go to, to uh, actually talk, talk about uh, Jacob's question real yeah. quick, um, or to answer his question, um, I'm going to have to play the fool here and uh, say I have not read the history of animation books, um, but I have read a Leonard Malton release called Of Mice and Magic, which is also a history of animated cartoons, um, and it is excellent. Leonard Malton is extremely intelligent when it comes to cartoons, or at least the people who write for him are, I'm not sure. I know, I know he doesn't write everything or see everything, but, um, but that's a great book if you want to try to find that one. Um, and I actually ordered the book that you asked about off of eBay, uh, so I will have that in time for the next podcast. So uh, keep listening, and I will give a more thorough thought Very cool. yeah, on I... the book you asked about then. Uh, have you actually read it, Jeff? Uh, I have not, actually, sad to say, but I may okay. have to ch- go check it out now. I'm going to Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't read that one either. I do have a lot of animation books. I have a book called The History of... Is it History? Let me look. Yep, The History of Animation, but that wasn't the same book. So yeah, I need to check that one out too, because I love animation books. Do you have a favorite one, Jeff, from... uh, I just recently got... uh, What is the one I just... I got the Mark Davis one. That one's pretty great. We, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, we get so many books in for... um, what's it called review that yeah. it's kind of hard to pick a favorite because they're all so great to yeah, be honest with you. the are. mark davis one that just came out is fantastic yeah, I, I love think. it um i know that uh from talking to alice that there is so much more that she wanted in the book but she literally just has thousands and thousands of his personal sketches that you know they had to go through and they just whittle it down to this small number to include wow. in the book but uh it's it's incredible. I mean, the, the stuff that's coming out now. There's a lot of really good animation related books that are, especially coming out from Disney. Yeah. Um, and I'm really impressed with them all. Yeah. And I also recently just got like a month ago. I got the Illusion of Life from Ollie Johnson. That is another great book. Yep. Not a cheap one though. No, it is not. I got mine for 25 bucks on eBay. I think it goes for like 80, really. I think it's 80 bucks in, in store, right? Yeah, if you go on Amazon, I think it's like close to 100 and yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, it's in great condition too, the one I got. So I was very lucky. Score. Wow. Nice score. Somebody clearly did not know what they were selling. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it was I a, love when that happens. Yeah, it was a thrift store. So yeah, they didn't know what they had. Even oh, okay. better. Yep. <laughs> so anyways, if you guys want to leave a voicemail, it's 406-214-4451. And we'll play you guys on a future episode. Even Jeff can call leave a voicemail. I'm going to call leaving uh, my Gollum impression on it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. That leaves us to why we're here. We're talking about Roger Rabbit. Yay. Nobody's cheering or anything. Oh, we're going to cheer. I'll cheer. I love Roger Rabbit. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> you got, did you guys see it in the theater? I know, Gary, you're probably too young. Uh, yes. No, I did not. <sighs> I want to say I did, but I may be lying. I remember 100%. I remember where I was sitting. I remember a lot of the scenes. I remember when my brother had to get up and go to use, use the bathroom. I was like, are you seriously getting up right now? You're, you're not going to watch the movie? At this crucial point in the film, you're leaving? It was actually during the 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 scene where Donald and, and Daffy are, are dueling the pianos. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And you haven't talked to him since, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Nope. He's, he's dead to me. Did he come back in time for Jessica's introduction? I don't know. I, I think uh, I was too mesmerized to remember. Fair yeah, enough. fair enough. His loss. That's the, that's the sign of a good movie, right there. You know, I, was, yeah. I told Gary, I think yesterday. I, I I wish Disney would put a live person as Jessica Rabbit walking around Disneyland. How amazing would that be? And how bad would that be for the fathers <laughs> everywhere? 
<laughs> yep, yep, pretty much. <laughs> oh, that'd be so great, though. And I, by fathers everywhere, I mean me specifically. <laughs> <laughs> it's already bad enough that Ariel is there for me, so. Fair point, fair point. The red hair on both of them, that's it. Guys, I, I'm sold. I Sorry, know. gotta go to Disney now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so yeah, so Jeff, uh, what kind of a connection do you have to the movie and even the books? Um, you know, just to talk about seeing in the theater, I'm fairly certain I did see because I remember convincing my mom to take me to see a lot of movies I probably should not have seen yeah. at that age, and uh, that I, I'm pretty sure that was one of them. But I, I didn't understand it as a kid. I think it was just cool to see cartoons interacting with humans. And then as I got older and I finally understood what the movie was, it's a great film noir. And I think I was like 20 by the time I realized it was based on an actual book. Yeah, missing here. I was like, at that time, it, it wasn't the super expensive amount that it is today that you can find <laughs> it online for. So I, I bought it and, um, you know, I read it and I loved it. Completely different, but yep. I, I loved it. Um, and I, I think it's a, it's a great book. It's a great movie, even though they're vastly different. But I, I think they're wonderful. And Gary? Yeah, I remember I remember the first time I saw the movie, I was just amazed. I mean, uh it, there's I don't know, I don't think that, that the marriage of live action and animation has ever done be- been uh done better than with that movie. Yeah. Um and I don't know, I remember whenever I found out it was a book also. Uh that was kind of I think I was in high school and uh I checked out who plugged Roger Rabbit from the library. And uh, I remember reading that in high school and thinking I was so cool and expecting people to come up and ask me like, wow, there's a sequel and there's a book to Roger Rabbit. And I thought like I would get a lot of dates and stuff, but it didn't happen. <laughs> wow. I, was, I was kind of delusional. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> but I, 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 I finally was uh, fortunate to marry someone who loves the movie as much as I do. So hey, it, it worked, worked out in the long run, right? My wife, my wife does not like the movie. I know. Uh, what? I know. I, I believe that's a check mark on my, the divorce papers. You can actually check that off. Does not like Roger Rabbit. I filed the papers yesterday, so it's. <laughs> I hope she doesn't listen to this and hate me. She, is, she does not listen. <laughs> oh, speaking of, of family, I'll, I'll keep this in the podcast too. Um, I have a two and a half year old Jeff, and uh, we were watching some Random Land videos, and it's one of the ones where they surprised you in your office. Uh, one of his sometimes yeah, vlogs? Yeah. Was, was he with Adam or was he by himself? He was... Or with Tyler. With Tyler. Yeah, and, uh, they loved doing that. <laughs> so, um, you know, they said, Jeff Heimbuck? And uh, so my two-year-old turns around and looks at me with like a puzzle face. Jeff Heimbuck? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I, I had her saying it like a couple hours later after the video. And my uh, seven-year-old said, Jeff Heimbuck's not real. I'm a character. I'm a figment of their imagination. <laughs> it's kind of like Fight Club. I'm I'm Justin's uh, Tyler Durden there, in yeah, a way. I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he's. I was wondering what kind of job he had. Now I know you're the job side of, of him. I am. I am. You should see our IKEA collection. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to Roger Rabbit uh, movie. I don't know what else to say about the movie. We've already talked about it on other episodes, and uh, I don't know. It still really holds up. I've seen it's that incredible. one. I mean, I, I could, I don't know. I'm at a loss for words. Do you have <laughs> any, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good movie right there. If yeah. it makes you do that, um, or not do that as it may be. But, um, so uh, do you have any, uh, like secret part park stuff to talk about with Roger Rabbit, Jeff, or anything that you know of that people may not know about? 
Oh, I don't know if you guys know. This is a secret, but in Toontown, there's a Roger Rabbit ride. What? <laughs> there's a Toontown? Um, I, I love the, the um, cartoon spin. I think it, it's a great ride. Um, yeah. I like how it kind of puts you in control of the direction that you're facing. It's like a cross between the teacups and a dark ride. And uh, I, I think it's a really cool kind of semi-sequel, in a way, to Roger Rabbit, sort of, kind of, because yeah. the weasels are still there, and you know, there's no Judge Doom, and there's Dip and everything. It's got a, a lot of really cool effects in it. So, uh, I, uh, Gary, I think you're going to really enjoy it when you get to check it out. And All Toon- right. Yeah, I look forward to that. Toontown, a lot of people don't like it, but I, as long as you go there when it's not busy, I love yeah. Toontown. Yeah. I like how when, like, you can literally touch anything yeah. there, and like something happens. Yep. I, I think that's great. <laughs> I always told my wife how if we ever won the lottery, I would build Mickey's house for my office. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> Actually, this week's uh, five-legged goat has to do with uh, something hidden in, in Mickey's house. Oh, nice. I won't give it away, no, but it's there. No, check that out. I, I love Mickey's house. and The first time we went there was, I don't know, maybe four years ago, five years ago. And uh, we went there, you know... On one of their things, you go there before the park opens or whatever it's called, the morning, whatever. Extra magic hour? Yeah. yeah. And uh, nobody was there. So we were first in line to see Mickey and all the houses and everything. And then the second time we were there, the next year after that, it was so busy. We couldn't even enjoy ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Especially because it's such a, it's a smaller area of the park and it's a dead end back there. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know, it bottlenecks back there sometimes. And it's a shame because it's such a gorgeous area when there's not a lot of people yep. and a lot of uh, open space. Um, but I love walking through all the houses. I, I love the meet and greets there. Um, I even love the two rides. I'm not going to lie. Yep. Even gadgets is pretty fun. Yep. I enjoy it. Except for the, the Chippendale house is pretty bad. Uh, yeah, that's mostly closed now, yeah. which is good. At least the ball pit is. Yeah. So for people listening, if you want to know more about the movie Roger Rabbit, our interview coming up with Gary K. Wolf, he actually talks a lot about the movie since he was actually kind of had some to do with the movie at least he had some say in it and you know they kept him in some secrets and that kind of stuff so he talks about some of the movie in an interview coming up and so let's talk a little bit about the books did you say you've read all three of them or at least two of them jeff i have read the first two i have not read the third one yet okay i have not read the second one but i've read the first one and gary's read all three of them look at him he's finally no, showing up you for the overachiever that, that, that is how they often describe me <laughs> 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 not in high school though i mean the only thing i did in high school was read the second book so um <laughs> so the cool thing to no, me um the cool thing to me is the first book like you said jeff it's so different from the movie so it's a whole completely different experience yeah it's like a whole nother story that i was not expecting it to be the first time i picked it up and then it's you know how it ends kind of le- left me scratching my head how there was going to be a sequel to the I know, book i know but i I like how the second book is like a sequel to the film as opposed to a sequel to the the first book itself. Um, I thought that was an, a pretty neat way for him to carry on the characters and how he embraced the film even to, to carry on his story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he actually talks about that a little bit, like why he chose that route in the interview. So you'll be hearing about that shortly. I, I, I must admit, I don't remember the first book that well because I read it so long ago, but... Um... Or the second book, really. I don't think I've read that since high school. But I did just recently read the third one, and it's it's every bit as good as the other two. Um, awesome. Awesome. Which, well, I don't want to say that yet either, because it'll spoil the interview. But I'll just say it's been written for a while. Um, and he just yeah. recently released it. Yeah, so. that's true. Really? 
Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. All right. Now I'm even more curious to hear what he has to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I had I had fun with the interview. He was a really cool guy. I think it's like a what forty minute interview or something, maybe an hour. I don't remember. I don't want yeah. to I don't want to put anybody off on it, but it's really a really fun interview. Then he talks all about the movie and the books and yeah, it's where Jessica Rabbit came from. That was probably one of my favorite stories that he told. That mm-hmm. I won't I won't give away here. I don't know how frustrating this must be for Jeff. I don't want you to give it away. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, is that pretty much all we have on on Roger Rabbit. I don't. I know. think so. I mean, I don't want to talk more and, and, and bore people in the right. Jeff, what about you? Um, I love Roger Rabbit. That's yeah. about it. I I was telling Tim before the show we've actually been planning a Roger Rabbit theme episode for Comedic Weekly, looking at the history of it and stuff. Um. And so I'm like way psyched to hear your interview with him um, because I, I, I don't think I've actually ever heard a audio interview with him before. So I'm curious to, A, hear what he sounds yeah. like and B, hear what he actually has to say. Yeah, <laughs> I was the same way when I was looking up, you know, references for the interview. I like, couldn't find audio interviews either, which is really cool. So, and it, Gary, you're the one that set up the interview, right? Yeah, absolutely. Good job. I, uh, Gary's I got, got a confirmation from him on uh, New Year's Eve. So that was like a highlight for me of last year and this year (laughs) nice nice (laughs) two for one that's right (laughs) so yeah all right let's stop talking about it and let's play our interview with gary k wolf (laughs) are we on yeah of course we are cow all right you big brother what now do i remember hello this is cow and I'm chicken. We're going to take a quick break from the show to bring you this interview from Saturday Morning Rewind. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe not. Hey, Gary, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, how are you guys doing? Good. So you're in Montana. You got yes. snow, right? Actually, this is weird. My part of Montana, I have no snow whatsoever. Today, it's like 50 degrees. But oh, you, you drive like 30 miles north and they have snow. Well, you know, I we were I I was uh, I was just telling Gary that I just got off a cruise ship that uh-huh. uh, was a jazz cruise went down to the Caribbean, and as we were coming back through customs, <clears throat> you know, in the big long line, the guy and his wife behind me were from Montana, uh-huh. and I asked him, I said, well, you know, do you have a ranch and horses?" And he said, "No, we live in a town." <laughs> and he told me that there's only a million people in the whole state. There's not I mean, many. There's not that, many. That's, that's nuts. Wow. Yeah. That, it's nice. I, mean, I do have to drive an hour to go to Walmart. <laughs> well, God. That, you know, that's good news, bad news. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I, I got to drive an hour to go to Walmart. To, that's the bad news. The good news is the nearest Walmart's an hour away. That's know? a good so. point, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, first, thank you for doing this. Um, without you, oh, it's, without it's you, my we, pleasure. We, I, I, I was uh, doing a uh, uh, collectibles and, uh, uh, you know, kind of a celebrity comic book show with uh, uh, Charlie Fleischer oh, yeah. a couple of months ago. And I think he mentioned that he had done this, too. Oh, and nice. I, I, I think that's right. And, or, you never know with Charlie. He, he tends to <laughs> have a very short, uh, short memory that... Uh, kind of fires on three cylinders instead of four. But I think he said that he was talking to you guys too a while back. Well, that means a lot come from him. At least he remembers. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, without you, we wouldn't have Roger Rabbit. 
So well, thanks. you know, it was touching for me because, uh, I, you know, Charlie came up to me during the show. And uh, it's hard to have a conversation with Charlie because he's always he's always on. He's always saying funny stuff uh-huh. and he's always making funny jokes. And, um, you know, it, it's hard to have just like a one-on-one conversation with him. And, you know, it, he's, he's a funny guy. Sincerity is not really his bag. You know, as, as it is with a lot of comedians. I mean, they're always on, they're always funny, but they're never really in the moment and sincere. You, you know, it's, it's just not part of their personality. But for the first time, Charlie came up to me at the show and he said, you know, he said, I got to thank you. He said, hmm. he said, you know, Spielberg and, and, and Bob C. Zemeckis, you know, they they did the movie, but he said, without you, there would have been no concept, and yeah. there would have been no characters, and there would have really been nothing for them to do. He said, and, you know, I owe you my career. Yeah. Um, and, I, I, you know, I was I was touched and flattered by that because, you know, especially coming from Charlie, who jokes about everything, that was that was really a yeah. pretty powerful statement. Oh, yeah, that's, it's all true, too. What kind of cartoons were you into as a kid? Did you did you watch a lot of cartoons, or I watched, what were some of your favorites? I watched tons of cartoons. Um, I grew up in a very very small town in Illinois, a little town called Earlville, Illinois. Uh, population fourteen hundred, <laughs> about seventy miles from Chicago. Uh, it was a farm town, and my father owned the pool hall in Earlville. And uh, my mother worked uh, in the school cafeteria as a cook in the school cafeteria. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff to do in Earlville, but we did have a movie theater. And um, the the bills were, uh, let's see if I can remember, I, it's, I, I try and I sometimes forget. But the bills were, there was a show on Friday, Saturday, same show, usually double feature with cartoons and, and special attractions. So it's a Friday, Saturday. Then there was um Sunday, Monday. Then there was a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And that was how the performances rolled out. And that was about all there was to do. We, we were so far outside Chicago that you really couldn't get TV reception. You know, those were the days of the TV aerials. You didn't have cable TV or anything like that. We had, we had a 100-foot-high television aerial. And there were only like three stations, and you could sometimes not get them. So the entertainment was go to the movies. And I used to go to the movies. So I, I went to every show that uh, that was shown. And, you know, I saw all the cartoons. Um, you know, loved Woody Woodpecker, uh, Hackle and Jackal. Um, Donald Duck was my, was my mm. particular favorite. Mm. I just absolutely loved Donald Duck. Um, and then, of course, when TV reception got a little better, they started playing uh, on the kids shows in my day. They started playing the cartoons of previous eras, and the, those were the black and whites. Uh, you know the stuff done by MI Works and uh, yeah. uh, you know Max Fleischer. So I I got into Betty Boop and I got into uh, Farmer Alfalfa and I got into the early Popeye stuff, and I was just I was fascinated by all of it. I just loved it because this was. So it was such a creative, bizarre world uh, that was it was just so funny. It was kind of the it, it was kind of the, the 
animated equivalent of uh, the Three Stooges, whom I also loved, uh, I'm embarrassed to say, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Marx Brothers, uh, uh, Abbott and Costello, uh, Laurel and Hardy. You know, these were all kind of what I would call live-action cartoons. Yeah, they are. And what about the inspiration when you were sitting down to write Who Censored Roger Rabbit? Where did that inspiration come from? Well, um, I have written uh, I have written a number of uh, science fiction novels, all of them uh, very well received. My first one was Killer Bowl. Uh, the second one was uh, uh, A Generation Removed. And uh, uh, the third one was uh, The Resurrectionist. And I I, I had uh, I had a contract with Doubleday at the time. And after my first novel, Killer Bowl, did really, really well, uh, they gave me a contract. Uh, I just wrote a book, sent them the book, and they published it, right? And uh, then when, when uh, you know, I wrote the next book, I sent them that one, and they published it, gave me a contract for another one. That was just the way they, they rolled with me. And, I you know, I never had a reject. So I've written these three science fiction novels, and I always want to like push the envelope a little bit. I always want to do something that nobody's ever done before. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do something that incorporated my two great uh, kind of loves in life. One was cartoons and comic strips, uh, which I kind of lumped into the cartoon category, and uh, oddly enough, noir mysteries. I I. I uh, grew up reading my dad's true crime magazines, which uh, were unbelievably horribly lurid and gruesome. Uh, but um, you know, my folks, uh, my folks believed that reading was essential to a kid. My my mother told me very early on. She said, "You know, if you uh, if you want to get out of this town, if you don't want to stick around here for the rest of your life, running your father's pool hall." The one thing you can do to make that happen is to read. And, you know, good mother that she was, she never put any restrictions on what I should read. So, I mean, what did I read? I read comic books and I read my father's lurid true crime magazines, right? <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I really loved, like, noir mysteries. Um, and I was trying to figure out what I could do to put those two concepts together into a book. You know, it's probably a science fiction book, but, you know, I had, I had my contract in my hand. They would publish whatever I wanted. So, I, you know, I didn't really care what it was uh, as long as it was something that had never been done before. And it was it was good. So I was watching Saturday morning cartoons one Saturday morning, you know, like for research, I tell my wife, purely for <laughs> research. You know, sitting here eating my, my check cereal and watching cartoons just for research. Uh, and I became fascinated not with the cartoons but with the commercials because I started to see cartoon characters like the Trix Rabbit, Captain Crunch, Snap, Crackle, and Pop. Um, the, the, you know, these were cartoon characters talking to real kids and nobody seemed to think that was odd. Huh. And I, I thought to myself, you know, what, what an interesting premise that would be for a book. What if you had a book what if you had a world where cartoon characters were real? What kind of a world would that be? And so I, I spent, oh, man, I probably spent maybe two years just 
um, researching cartoons, comic strips, and the conventions of cartoons and comic strips to see what happened in, in comic strips and cartoons that you know didn't happen in, in real life. Hmm. We have to stop often for sips of water. I, uh, <laughs> uh, everybody else in Boston, I've got a raspy throat. But um, <clears throat> I, uh, um, I, it took me it took me two years to come up with the conventions. And then another, you know, five or six months to come up with a, an appropriate story. And so I wrote the book. I created Toontown and wrote the book. Um, and I, you know, I had to be very, very careful because all of the, uh, all of the cartoon conventions had to be consistent. I couldn't break, I couldn't break the, the reality that I set up for myself or people would instantly, um, dismiss the premise they would mm-hmm. instantly lose their conviction and dismiss the premise so i had to know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff that i didn't put in the book like you know uh some of it made it into the movie like if a if a human goes into a tune bar uh you know first of all will they let him in and say like what does he order uh, well <laughs> you know he'll order uh he'll order tune shine he'll order a glass of tune shine you know and, what if a cartoon character goes into a human bar? Will, will they let him in? And if so, was he drink? And of course, you saw the results of that in the, in the movie. <laughs> Roger, you know, had the drink and exploded. Um, not, some of that wasn't in the book, but um, I had to I had to know it. I had, I had to I had to be conversant with that world in order to make sure that everything was consistent. Um, I used conventions in the book that were uh, comic book and, and newspaper cartoon conventions like word balloons. The, uh, my characters in the book didn't speak. They, yep. they, they had the ability to speak, but they didn't. They spoke in word balloons. And for me, this was just a hoop. I mean, I just had a lot of fun with this. Uh, when a cartoon character plays the piano, the notes come out of the uh, piano uh, in, a, in a string. You know, they're all strung out, and people will collect those notes and cut them up into 8 by 10 sheets, and that's where sheet music comes from. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you talk to a cartoon character, you know, talk to him, you read him. And if he turns around, uh, you know, so this, is, so this is word balloon, so you have to learn to read in reverse. <laughs> if uh, if uh, somebody gets shot with a cartoon gun, that produces a bang balloon. And you can you can take that bang balloon and analyze it and tell the caliber of the gun and the type of the gun and sometimes you know who owned it. So you know this was just fun for me. I mean this was just so bizarre and so fun for me. And the the whole book is filled with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Forces a reader to use his or her imagination. Uh, I finished the book. It was you know it was clearly the best book I'd ever written in my life. Uh, it was just just in, incredibly better than everything else. Um, and I sent it off to Doubleday. And for the first time in my life, I got a reject. <clears throat> my my editor called me up and she said, "Gary, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I can't publish this book." And I said, well, "Why?" And she said, "Well, she said I read it and I loved it. She said it's just funny. It's it's the best thing you've ever written." I said, "Yeah, absolutely." She said, "But it's so unusual <laughs> that I had to send it to the marketing department, and the marketing department rejected it." So I called the head of the marketing department. I said, George, you know what's going on here? He says, well, Gary, we got a problem with this one. 
it, it, there's no place for it on the bookstore shelves. It's not a regular adult book. It's not, it's not a typical fantasy. It's not really a mystery. It's not a children's book. There's no place for it on the shelves. I can't sell it. I said, well, okay, let me ask you this. What would you do if somebody brought you Alice in Wonderland or The Wizard of Oz or Gulliver's Travels? What would you do with those? And he thought for a minute, he says, I couldn't sell those either. So <laughs> I, I went to my agent and, and I said, yeah, I said, if, if I can't publish, you know, Who Censored Roger Rabbit, which was the title of that book, right? if I can't publish this, I don't want to write anymore because this is clearly as good as I can do. And, and if I can't publish this, then there's no place for me. So he said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll find some place. So he started sending it out and he, he sent it out to many, many publishers uh, sometimes uh, the different different editors at the same publisher. Uh, by the end, we had gotten 110 rejects on the book. The book had been rejected 110 times, always for the same reason. Editors loved it. The marketing department said, we can't sell this. So uh, he eventually sent it to an editor at St. Martin's Press, uh, Rebecca Martin. Uh, and Rebecca had just edited a major bestseller for St. Martin's, and they gave her a vanity project. They said, okay, for your next book, you can you can publish anything you want. <laughs> right. So at that point, Roger Rabbit comes across her desk, and she reads it. And like every editor before her, like the 110 editors before her, she said, oh, this is incredible. So she went to the head of the publishing company. She said, this is the book that I want to publish for my vanity project. So he said, okay, I'll take a look. So he read it. Call her in. He says, well, Rebecca, I told you you could publish any book you wanted, but you can't publish this. We, we, we can't sell it. <laughs> so Rebecca, God bless her heart, said, okay, if you don't publish it, I quit. <laughs> and so <laughs> reluctantly, St. Martin's published the book. Wow. Um, yeah, they, they, they published, they printed, uh, I, I think the, the first number was 10,000 copies, which is nothing for a hardcover book. I mean, yeah. it's nothing. And uh, if you look on eBay today, those hardcover first editions go for 350 to 400 <laughs> bucks. And at the time, had I known, I would have bought them all. And, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd be living in the, in the Caribbean instead of going down around a boat once a year. Um, so, you know, the, the book came out and, and I figured, well, if <laughs> a book that hard to sell, they're not going to promote it. Uh, it's, you know, it's probably not going to go anywhere, but at least it's seeing the light of day. And uh, this was 1980. Uh, the book didn't actually come out until 1981. Well, about halfway through 1980, my phone rings and I get a call. And I, you know, I pick it up. And I mean, this is my home phone, right? Mm -hmm. And I pick it up and I say, is this Gary Wolf? I say, yes, this is. This is Roy Disney. Oh, and man. I'd like to I'd like to buy the rights to your Roger Rabbit book. Well, you know, obviously the book had not yet come out as a book. And I thought it was one of my friends pranking. I said, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this is really he said, No, 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 this is really Roy Disney. And I said, Well, the book hasn't come out yet. And he says, Well, uh, somebody at St. Martin's and I never found out who. I tried because I I would have kissed him or her full on yeah. the lips. Uh, <laughs> but somebody at St. Martin's sent a copy of the manuscript to Disney said, Hey, we think you'd be interested in this. And it turns out they were, um, at that time in 1980, 1981, 
Disney was a second-rate movie production house. They were making uh, movies about Flubber and the Nutty Professor mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, the, the Black Cauldron and the Black Hole. And, you know, the Black Cauldron disappeared down the Black Hole. <laughs> yes. I, they were making movies that were intended to be the second half of double features, of which there were no more. Um, they had been offered E.T., they turned it down. Oh, my goodness. They had been offered mm-hmm. Star Wars, they turned it down. Um, they, they really needed a project that would elevate them back into the first ranks of movie production studios. And Roy Disney saw Roger Rabbit as that project. So, um, he... he and they had, they had another reason too. Uh, Disney, you, you may have noticed this, but Disney makes a tremendous amount of money selling lunchboxes and, and pencils and hats and dolls and uh, you know stuff that is not particularly movie stuff. It's, they sell merchandise, right? So um, their characters in 1980, 1981 were getting a little stale. You know, Mickey had become like the corporate spokesmouse. And, uh, he, you know, he couldn't have fun with him anymore. He, he was wearing a tuxedo, uh, and, you know, you couldn't really joke around with him. You, you know, Donald was still wild and goofy, uh, but you couldn't understand what he said, so you really couldn't have fun with him either. They needed some new characters, and they saw the characters from Who Says It Roger Rabbit, particularly Roger, uh, Jessica, uh, they saw them as characters they could add to their stable and, you know, build their, their character stable. So they had a lot of reasons to buy this book and make this movie. And, you know, frankly, I thought the book was unfilmable yeah. because uh, it was, it was, it was creative and bizarre. And I did not think, I did not think there was any way that, a movie studio could film this movie. Uh, but they offered me more money for the rights than I had made on everything I'd written put together <laughs> up to that point. So who am I to say no? Uh, and, you know, for the first couple of years, they proved me right. They, they just really didn't have the horsepower or the creative talent uh, or the vision to do this movie. They, um, uh, they tried to do live action animation. They really couldn't couldn't bring it off. They they did some very short tests, which were okay, but nothing spectacular. Um, they finally came to me and said, "Look, you know, we're not having much luck doing it as a combination live action animation. What would you what would you think if we did it with the cartoon characters being in costume like they are at Disney World?" And I said, "Guys." Doesn't that kind of, you know, doesn't that kind of degrade the uh, the creative integrity of it? I, and you know, I, I all I could see was Fred McMurray as Eddie Valiant and Haley Mills as Jessica and Dean Jones as the Rabbit. You know, um, and, and so finally they gave up on that and they they continued to try to get it produced, but you know, not having much luck. And then in probably 1985, things changed significantly. That was when uh, they had the coup and Roy Disney was out and all of a sudden Michael Eisner came in. And he brought with him Jeff Kassenberg, um, who made work with a number of you know big deal successful movies. Made Jeff 
the head of movie uh, movie production. And the first thing that they did, which is the first thing all film executives do when they come into a studio uh, and take over, is to throw out every project that's under development because that's what got the previous regime in trouble. Uh, and that's what that's what Mike and Jeff did. They threw out every project they had in development, all except for Roger Rabbit, which they kept, which they realized they had to produce in order to, you know, reinstall themselves as uh, top of the heap in in Hollywood. Uh, but they did something that nobody up to that point had done. They brought in an outside producer, somebody who was not a Disney guy, uh, to actually take care of the production. And that guy, fortunately, was Steve Spielberg. Um, Steve Spielberg came in, and his uh, major and lasting contribution was to pick as a director Bob Zemeckis. Uh, but both Bob, Z- Bob Zemeckis had been offered Roger Rabbit as a project in 1981. And he turned it down because he didn't believe that Disney had the had the uh, the stuff to make it. Um, so he went on to direct a few movies you've never heard of, like Back to the Future and Forrest Gump. <laughs> right. So now he comes back, and Steve Spielberg read the book when it came out in 1980. He thought it thought it would make a great movie, but nobody ever asked him to to do anything with it. Hmm. Um, hmm. So you know those two guys came on board and. To show you what a difference Steve Spielberg makes in Hollywood, right? In 1981, Roy Disney went to Warner Brothers and said, look, we've got this movie we're doing. And it's a live action animated movie. Uh, It's got all kinds of our cartoon characters are going to be in it. Um, We'd like Bugs Bunny to be in it. And we, for maximum 10 seconds, Bugs Bunny comes out says, what's up, Doc? And adios. And, you know, can we have books money <laughs> for 10 seconds in our Roger Rabbit movie? The Warner Brothers said, get lost. <laughs> you know, no no way is, is, is a Warner Brothers character ever going to appear in a Walt Disney movie. It's just never going to happen. So five years later, Steve Spielberg goes in and makes the identical request. <laughs> you know, can I have books money for a cameo to say, what's up, Doc? And they say, Steve, of course, of course. <laughs> what, what about Porky Pig? Would you want him too? And somebody Sam. How about the Roadrunner, Wiley Coyote? You know, take them all. Take them all. <laughs> so um, the the only uh, the only restriction, you know, Bugs is a superstar, and contractually, contractually, Bugs has to be in every scene with Mickey. Wow! You cannot have wow. you cannot have Mickey on screen without Bugs. They're in every scene together, huh. and if you look at the movie, yeah. you'll see that. Yep. And they have to have the exact same number of words of dialogue, <laughs> and you can and you can count them up. Okay, so um, you know from that point on, it was uh, it wasn't smooth sailing, but uh, it was less rocky. It was less rocky waters, and the movie the movie progressed. So did you did you have any say when it came to like the development of the movie? I mean, were yeah, I mean, uh, I, it was unusual because uh, well, first of all, uh, my my situation with Disney is a little unusual for that. Most writers went when we sold the rights to the book to Disney, um, the uh, uh, you know the contract was basically all done. And my agent 
uh, sent it to a, a junior attorney that he'd hired for his literary agency. She was just out of law school. And all that she was supposed to do was read the contract for punctuation mistakes to make sure that nothing would crop up later that would bite us in the butt, okay? But she, she read the contract all the way through it. She went to my agent. And she said, you know, she said he's not making much for this movie, which, you know, I, can't, I don't know what they pay attorneys in New York. But <laughs> obviously, a lot more than they pay writers because I thought it was all the money in the world. But she, she's not making much. And it's probably not going to ever be a movie anyway because most of them aren't. I think we should put in a, a just a, a clause in here saying that we're just selling the rights to this one book and he retains the ownership of the characters. He owns the characters. And so my agent said, well, Disney would never go for that. She said, well, I think we owe it to him to try. So they put that clause in the contract, sent it to Disney, where Disney loved writers, took a look at it and said, sure, why not? Sign the contract. That's weird. So, yeah, so I still own the rights to the characters. And that gives me maybe just a little more clout uh-huh. uh, with the movie production company than than your average bear. Uh, but... I think more important than that, you know, more important than that, the the animators especially uh, valued my creativity, and and they 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 were happy to listen to my ideas and, and share ideas with me. There were times when I would find myself in a room with thirty five of the most creative people I'd ever met in my life, and these people are all throwing out ideas on how to make my story funnier. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, where were you guys at four in the morning when I was sitting at my kitchen table for three years writing the book? And if you'd have been there then, I don't, I don't want to appeal at your prize for God's sake, you know. So, um, you know, I was involved in the creative process as much as I wanted to be. And it, um, I, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm a little bored by the movie production process itself. Mm-hmm. Um, they filmed a lot of the movie in, in uh, London at Elstree Studios because in those days they needed a huge studio and uh, because uh, the studio that they filmed in was three stories high. On the top floor was the movie set itself. Uh, on the floor below that were the puppeteers who were manipulating the real objects that were uh, like uh, the guns that the weasels were holding and the trays that the penguins were carrying around in the Inca paint club. And, you know, the, the, the objects that were being manipulated through holes in the floor by puppeteers underneath. And then on the ground floor, was actually a video feed studio where uh, Bob Z would be uh, looking at the video of what was being filmed on the third floor and he would have animators there who would be filling in hmm. in quick sketch what the cartoon characters wow. would be doing in the scene so that Bob could block it out because, you know, he was only seeing half the movie. So uh, they didn't have a studio that big in the United States. Um, they do now, but they didn't then. Uh, I think another major reason we filmed in London was because Steve Spielberg had us to like the food in London, you know, go figure. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, they flew me over to London and I was able to participate and, and observe as much of the filming as I wanted. Uh, it, you know, frankly, 
uh, I'm a writer and I bore easily. And, uh, you know, watching somebody film the same scene 36 <laughs> times is, is just enough to send me screaming out of the room. So, uh, you know, I, I was there as, as, as much as, as I wanted to be there. Uh, they filmed a lot of, they did, did a lot of the sound work at, um, uh, Lucas's, uh, uh, Skywalker yeah. Ranch. And that was fun for me, uh, because the Rolling Stones were there making oh, an album yeah. while they were doing, while they were doing the sound work for Roger Rabbit. And, wow. Uh, that was kind of fun. Um, they, they, you know, they filmed a lot of it, uh, in LA, uh, and, you know, on location. That was kind of fun, but it, I, I'm not. I'm not the kind of guy that wants to be there every single moment of every single day watching film. Uh, it's just not, it's not my temperament. So, you know, I watched as much of it as I wanted to, but yeah, in the, in the creative portions of it. Yeah. I participated in that because that's fun for me and that's something I can do well. Right. That's great. Now, what's one thing you loved about the movie that you didn't have in your book itself? Something that they created just for the movie. Wow, that's a good question. Um, well, um, y- you know, I, I would ha- I would have to say that um, the the three dimensional the three dimensionality of it. Okay. Uh, I, I wrote that book to be the best book that I knew how to write, and the difference between the book and the movie is that when when you read the book. You have to make it all up in your mind. It's a reader's book. Yeah, you you're forced to use your imagination because there are things in that book that just frankly do not exist in real life. And so you, you know the way I write it has to lead the reader into a self visualization of what this is, and that's going to be different for every single person who reads that book. In the movie, they really took my idea and made it real. They made it three dimensional, and the characters are real and you believe it, and they uh, they bought into the concept that everything had to be consistent with the premise. That if if anything was inconsistent with the premise of cartoon characters existing in real life, then that would not be in the movie because the audience would immediately um, would immediately lose the, the, the film would lose credibility, and the audience would punch out there's only one thing in that movie uh that that defies the premise and bob zemeckis thought it was so funny that even though we tried to talk him out of it we couldn't and uh want me to tell you or do you want to look yeah go ahead tell us yeah (laughs) i mean you can go through and frame my frame and find it yourself um when eddie valiant is in that elevator with droopy the dog and the elevator is going straight down and boom, hits the floor and the elevator doors open. Eddie is all squashed up on the bottom of the elevator floor mm-hmm. like a tomb. All right. And that defies the premise. Yeah. That would never happen. That's true. To a human being. That would never happen to a human being. But Bob Z thought that was so <laughs> funny that, uh, you know, it's no, no talking him out of it. He wanted to do it. So there you go. Yeah. As, as, as a kid, I remember laughing at that. But yeah. now that you bring yeah. it up, that does kind of defy all the logic of the, the story. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and you know, I, I admittedly, I, it's, it's, what, two, 
maybe 10 seconds out of a out of an hour and 50 minute movie. And I don't think anybody is going out of the theater saying, hey, that wouldn't happen. And, it, and you know, Bob Zemeckis was right. It's a funny bit, but it does defy the premise. Yeah. Now, let's let's flip that question around. What's one thing you wish they would have included from your book that they didn't? You know, I, I uh, the book and the movie are so different. Yes, they are. Yeah, the, the book is a book and the movie's a movie. Um, the, I'll tell you the one thing that they tried, um, I, I, and uh, that was the word balloons. Yep. You know, way early on when they were originally trying to get this movie produced, they were going to use word balloons for all the cartoon characters. And that came to a screeching halt real fast. Yeah. When... Um, when they discovered that that made it a silent movie, you know, the, the cartoon character would say something, he'd have to read the balloon and, you know, then go on. And it was like the perils of Pauline. I mean, it was like a, like a 1920s silent movie. Uh, so that kind of bit the dust, but they wanted to have an homage to word balloons because they, they, they love that concept. As yeah, so, do I. so they, they in in the scene where Marvin Acme is being buried, where they have Marvin Acme's funeral. Uh, Marvin Acme's casket is being carried by uh, Goofy and Clarabelle the Clown and all these all these cartoon characters, and they're carrying this casket, and they're going by all these cartoon characters, and they start laughing, and they just can't stop laughing. They're just all laughing at this funeral. And then the casket is carried by Crazy Cat. And Crazy Cat, if you know Crazy Cat, he was a cartoon character from the, I think, probably 30s, maybe early 40s. Uh, and also a character in, uh, in newspaper comic strips with Ignatz the Mouse. He never spoke. He was a black and white cat, never spoke. And as the casket went by Ignatz, he put up a word balloon. And in his word balloon, it said sob. And the word balloon turned into tears and came down and got his shoulder and his head wet. <laughs> and I thought that was just wonderful. Yeah. That was just wonderful. Well, uh, you know, as the movie was getting closer to being finished, uh, a couple of things. Disney and Spielberg really didn't know if this was going to be a children's movie or an adult movie. Mm. They really didn't know. And there was a lot of question about uh, what the releasing company would be, whether it would be Touchstone, whether it would be Walt Disney Pictures, um, what what the releasing company would be. And um, the, the biggest impact was the length. The rule of thumb in Hollywood is that a children's movie can't be longer than 90 minutes. Um, and the, this movie was, I don't know, maybe at the time, an hour and uh, 45 or 50 minutes. So they decided to make some cuts. And so they cut stuff out of it that uh, they felt was non-essential. Um, one of the things they cut was Marvin Acme's funeral. And so, of course, there went my word balloon, too. Yeah, that would have been so cool. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if I could have my druthers, uh, I wish I could have seen Marvin Acme buried, and I wish I could have seen uh, Crazy Cat uh, give off a sob balloon. The other, <coughs> interestingly, the other scene that got cut was uh, the pig face scene. Um, mm. 
and if you'll if you'll go back and look at the movie again, you'll see that this kind of impacts the story and accounts for something that's a little strange. Uh, there is a was a scene in the original movie when uh, Judge Doom, I think it was, uh, kidnaps Eddie Valiant and brings him into Toontown, and they uh, they question him there, and uh, Jessica is there with Judge Doom and the Weasels. And that leads you to believe that Jessica is a more nefarious character than she actually winds up being in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they then they then uh, bring Eddie Valiant out of Toontown, throw him out of the car, and he's got a burlap bag over his head. And when he goes into his office and takes the burlap bag off his head, they put a pig face on him. And it's a big cartoon pig face. And uh, so he... You know, he looks in the mirror and, oh, my God, I got a pig face. So he goes in the shower and takes a shower and washes the uh, washes the pig face off. And you see the, you know, you see the colors going down the drain. Then he comes out of the shower and he's wearing, uh, I can't remember if he's got his, his sleeveless T-shirt on. I think he does. He's got a sleeveless T-shirt on and a necktie. So he comes out of his bathroom wearing a sleeveless T-shirt and a necktie because he's taken off his shirt and his his coat because they're all wet. And that's when Jessica comes in, and you know she says, uh, "You know, I'm not really the I'm not really the yeah. I'm a good girl. Yeah. I'm a bad good girl, not a good bad girl, or whatever." And she says, "And if you think about it." the hell was a guy doing in his bathroom wearing a t-shirt and a necktie, you know? So uh, that was that was one of the other things. Wow. Uh, yeah. Some of the stuff that they cut, they had to cut for obvious reasons. Uh, Popeye, uh, uh, Olive Oil, Wimpy, Bluto, they were in the original movie. Oh, man. Uh, and uh, – they put them in there, assuming that they would be able to get the rights from uh, whoever owned them, Fleischer or whoever at the time. Um, but for some reason, the, the people that owned Popeye wanted more for Popeye than Warner Brothers wanted for their whole stable, <laughs> including both money. And so Disney said, no, not worth it. And so they cut out all the scenes with uh, uh, with Popeye in them. And, and that also included Crazy Cat, by the way. Uh, owned by the same company. Okay. The only time, the only, the only thing that you'll ever see, and, and those Popeye people have been regretting it ever since. Believe me, uh, <laughs> is that you know this movie reinvigorated Droopy's career. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, you know would have probably done the same for Popeye. Yep. But yep. if you uh, if you look at the when Eddie Valiant finally does wind up going into Toontown, if you look at the lintel over the archway going into Toontown. You'll see on the lintel uh, a portrait of Crazy Cat uh, um, just as he goes in. And, of course, they don't have the rights for that. So that wow. should not have been there. But, you know, <laughs> wow, it's really too late. Cool. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I, I've heard for many years, I, I guess it first started like almost after the first movie came out that there was, you know, talks of a sequel. And, mm-hmm. and they're still talking about it to this day. Have you heard anything about it and, you know, do you think any of it would be based on your sequel novels? Oh, it's hard to tell. Um, you know the the movie when it came out. I, I still I get the I get the royalty statements, and you know, at Elastic Pounding, the movie has grossed 
somewhere in the vicinity of $1 billion. Uh, that's a lot of simoleons. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. the, the rule of thumb in Hollywood is that a sequel movie will take in three quarters of the amount of the original. So three quarters of a billion. Uh, <laughs> still, you know, not chump change, right? Uh, even given that uh, production costs have gone up and it would cost probably $250 million to make, three quarters of a billion is still pretty good money. Um, Roger has gotten caught in a, in a little bit of a political windstorm. Um, the, uh, you know, the sequel was all set to go. Um, we had a director, Rob Minkoff was going to direct it. Uh, and, uh, the script was approved. And then, um, Jeff Katzenberg, um, left Disney really acrimoniously. And, um, he formed, um, DreamWorks SKG with Spielberg and, um, you know, Katzenberg and, and Eisner left on really bad times. Katzenberg said publicly, I'm never going to do another thing to make Disney a nickel. Well, now he's partners with Spielberg. Spielberg owns the production rights to Roger Rabbit. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, these two guys are partners. Um, Spielberg's got enough on his plate to keep him going until he's 106. So, you know, he doesn't really need to do Roger Rabbit. And, you know, he's not going to do Roger Rabbit if it's going to make his partner unhappy. So uh, the project fell apart. And, um, you know, it, it it was off for the longest time. Then all of a sudden Spielberg... Um, and, and Katzenberg parted ways a little bit, and uh, Spielberg suddenly gets a uh, uh, a trailer, an office on the Disney lot. So he's now on the Disney lot, and he's committed to make movies, some movies for Disney. And then uh, Frank Marshall and Kathleen Turner were the line producers for Disney uh, for the Roger Rabbit movie. They suddenly show up on the Disney lot too, and they. <laughs> Disney asked him, you know, what are your first, uh, what, what movie do you want to do? I said, well, we want to do the Roger Rabbit sequel movie. And then Bob Zemeckis, who uh, has had some, you know, some less than successful movies uh, with his with his CGI animation. Um, suddenly he's back on the Disney lot in good graces. And so all the, all the parts are in place. And Don Hahn, who was the line producer, uh, made an announcement a couple of years ago that you know, we're going to have some really exciting news for Roger Rabbit fans within the week. You know, stay tuned. Mm-hmm. And um, then all of a sudden, that all fell apart um, because all of a sudden, Disney animation is now controlled by Pixar. And my sense of it is that Pixar, Pixar's got their own got their own agenda. Pixar wants to use their own characters. They want to create their own stories. Uh, they're not that interested in, uh, you know, reanimating uh, an old franchise. So, um, you know, they really don't want to do Roger Rabbit. They want to do, I don't know, Shrek 6 or yeah. Toy Story 12 right. or whatever, you know, because it's their characters and they've got a franchise and they're investing in those characters. Uh, also, there's a question of just the, the animation technique. Roger was the last hand-drawn animated movie 
maybe ever made. And um, there was talk when Spielberg, Zemeckis, uh, when those people came back to Disney, that they were going to do it CGI and, uh, you know, computer animation. Um, I'm not sure that would work. I, you know, Steven, Steven's a bright guy and, you know, has a sensibility. I'm sure he can make it work. But um, animation is going off in a different direction. And, and you know, whether that is ever going to come back around to the Roger Rabbit style or the Roger Rabbit technique, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, the, the movie was was hot for a while. It was cold for a while. It was hot for a while. Right now, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe lukewarm. I don't know. Right. Well, I, I suspect my, 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 if I had to predict prognostication, maybe you heard it here first. Uh, there will come a time when Disney needs a hit. And, it, and it's going to be the same situation that it was uh, in 1980. They're going to, they're going to need a hit. They're going to have to reestablish themselves as, prime movers in the field of animation. And there's still a lot of Roger fans out there. The movie is still making money. Um, my guess is that eventually they will do it. Yeah. All right. Well, regardless of whether there's another movie, you know, you just released a, a third book and you released a second book in 91, I believe it was, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, both of those are great. Um, oh, thanks. I just <laughs> yeah, that, I, that is from you and my mother. What, the two oh. readers, the two people who read that book. Oh my god! And now I've talked to both of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really enjoy the the kind of turn that which I noticed that the the, the sequels to the the book seem to be more based on the movie than the original book. Yeah, that but... was a, that was a creative problem for me. That was a dilemma. All really? right, you know, I wrote the book. The original book, and if you read the original, the original is quite different from the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, you know, I, uh, I I have no problem. I have no problem with what they did to turn that book into a movie because, as I told you, that book I thought was unfilmable, mm-hmm. and they took an unfilmable book and made it into a wonderful, wonderful movie. Uh, but when it came time for me to do the sequel book which I had never planned on doing, I had a dilemma because, you know, like, uh, like I said, uh, that there were probably, oh my God, 10 million people who had seen the movie. Yeah, and that's not, that's not hyperbole. It probably 10 million people, more, hundred million who had seen the movie. And, you know, you and my mother had read the book, right? <laughs> so, um, when I do the sequel, what premise do, do I adhere to? You know, do I do I stay true to the book premise, which was very dark, uh, a, a little more adult, well, much more adult than, than the movie, uh, or do I go with more of the movie premise? Um, and I chose to kind of split it down the middle. Uh, the... Uh, the sequel novel is still very adult, and you know, not for kids. Yeah. Um, I I changed the movie the, the characters to movie actors rather than uh, comic strip and cartoon actors the way they were in the original book. But there were just some things I just couldn't give up. I, they still talk with word balloons. Yeah. Um, they they still have goofy tune, bizarre fun, and um, 
it works. You know, it works, works pretty well. The third novel is interesting because I wrote the third novel uh, after I wrote the sequel novel, about a year or two after. Huh. So 92 or 93. And uh, I sent it to my agent and, and um, I, I, uh, I got dinged a lot for, you know, disnifying the sequel. I don't think the dis- I don't think the sequel is that disnified because it deals with a lot of really adult uh adult concepts and subjects and mm-hmm. I don't think it's that disnified, but I still got dinged for it because it was closer to the movie than my first book. So for the third book, you know, and I am the Lord High Potentate of Toontown. I can do whatever the hell I want, you know, whatever the hell I want in Toontown. For the premise of the third book, uh I went back to the first the original. And the third novel, I think, is is more like the original than it is like either the movie or the first sequel novel. Right. Uh, the plug. Uh, so I wrote that in 92 or 93. Hmm. Sent it to my agent, and I said, hey, here, you know, here's the third Roger Rabbit novel. Uh, you know, uh, sell it. And he said, well, you know, Let's hang on to it for a while because if we hang on to it until the sequel movie comes out, we'll get a lot more money for it. Right. And I said, okay, sounds good to me. Well, we all know how that turned yeah. out, right? So, um, you know, I went on to other projects. I, by that time, I had some movie movie deals and uh, wrote a wrote a science fiction novel with my best friend, the Archbishop of New Jersey, and. Uh, then I started writing some some other science fiction novels, and uh, uh, you know I had just uh, just written one called Typical Day, and um, you know I was I was doing the the blogging thing and the you know the online uh, the online thing, and my publisher said you know we're, we're doing your website www.garywolf.com. I, I I highly recommend it. Uh, go there. You can buy all my books. I recommend you buy in bulk. <laughs> um, but she said, you know, we, we want something to drive people to the website. And I said, well, let me think about it. So I, I called her back. I said, hey, you know, I was looking through my old stuff, and I got this Roger Rabbit novel. How about if, you know, like every every week we print a chapter and people <laughs> come and read it? And it'll drive them. She said, you've got a Roger Rabbit novel that you've never published? I said, yeah. She said, well, Let's publish that instead. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, nobody had ever suggested that before. And, uh, so I went back. I, I, I did redo it. Uh, I, I rewrote that novel. So it's not word for word what I did in 19, uh, 1992, 1993. But it is, uh, it is closer in concept and in, in, in form and feeling to the first one than the second one. And if I had to rank them, I would rank who censored number one because nothing like that had ever been done. But I'd, I'd call this one who whacked uh, Roger Rabbit. Uh, this is this is a clear number two. And, uh, you know, I think it's as good in, in concept, in principle, and in writing style as the first one. It was kind of interesting for me because it was kind of like collaborating with my younger self. <laughs> uh, you know, I was looking at stuff I wrote to... Went to 10, 15 years ago, and uh, you know, hopefully, I've matured and gotten better since then. And I was able to rewrite it and, and make it crisper and, and I think better. Yeah, I like how you you took the uh, opportunity to uh, 
kind of stylized because the first one was actually set in or who censored Roger Rabbit was set in modern time, right? It wasn't really. It was um, set. In a, it was set in kind of a never never time. Right, uh, right. Uh, but but if if you had to say yeah, this is when it was set. Yeah, it was set in modern time. And then the uh, the second one, uh, and again, this was because of the movie. The second one was set uh, just after World War Two. Set in the you know the late uh, late forties. Uh, and I, there are certain things about about them that I like, and I liked uh, I liked the '40s concept because I'm a you know I'm a film noir guy. I, you know I love the old movies. I love uh, Gary Cooper and I love Clark Gable and I love uh, you know old old noir movies. And so I set the the third one um, in that era too, and I think it, it actually works better for the premise because. Uh, you know, a lot of people today aren't familiar with that era, mm-hmm. and so the whole era is just as kind of mysterious to them as Toontown is, mm-hmm. and it all works together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was going to say I love. I remember being in high school whenever I first read "Who P- 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 Plugged Roger Rabbit," or however you say that in normal speech. Well, we standardized and- on the four-piece stutter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember being in high school and being so impressed about, uh, or just being surprised that you actually included Clark Gable in this you know, cartoon world. And, and, and then, you know, seeing Gary Cooper in this one, that was a lot of fun as well. Yeah, a lot of fun for me too. And, uh, you know, I, uh, when I wrote the thing originally in 1991, 92, I researched, I researched Gary Cooper extensively mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, read many, many biographies of Gary Cooper. And that is a pretty fair, true to life representation of what kind of guy he was. So, a man of, know, a man of few words. words. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Um, well, uh, let's see. It's, so I guess, I don't know if you can say, but is there a fourth Roger Rabbit novel floating around somewhere? Uh, when I, when I found the third one, I actually found a fourth one. Oh, um, nice. and I, it's nowhere near as complete as number three was. Uh, it's just something I started and maybe did half of. And, uh, um, then went on to other things when my agent told me that, you know, he wasn't going to sell the third one until the movie came out. So, you know, why work on the fourth one? Um, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know. I, uh, I've got a lot of stuff going on. I, like I told you, I, I did a uh, science fiction novel with um, my best friend from, from Earlville. I mean, we, we were babies together. We grew up together. We've been best friends forever. And he's the guy that first introduced me to science fiction which, you know, changed my life. Uh, he's now the Catholic Archbishop of uh, Newark, New Jersey. And uh, when uh, when he first introduced me to science fiction, he gave me a book uh, that he had just read. And, you know, he was into, he was into like, biographies. I was into, uh, you know, Robin Hood and King Arthur. But we both love science. And um, he gave me this book. He said, you got to read this book. He said, it's science, but it's fiction. He said, it's science fiction. Uh, we never heard of that before. So I read it, and that book was called uh, Spacehawk. And uh, I was entranced by this book. I, I, I was entranced by it, as was he. And we, so we went to the librarian. We said, can you give us more of this science fiction? And she said, yeah, I, I can do that. So she, you know, luckily she gave us Heinlein and Asimov and, you know, the, the great giants of, of the genre. Uh, but 
John, his name is John Myers, the Archbishop. John and I never lost our love for for Spacehawk. And we can still quote, the two of us can still quote verbatim passages from Spacehawk. So, you know, a couple of years ago for Christmas present, I decided I was going to buy two copies and uh, send one to John, one to me, and we're going to reread Spacehawk and, you know, kind of relive our youth. So, you know, I did that and I sent one to him and I, I kept one and um, I read it. So we're Scott book you've ever read in your life. I have, I have, I have it's total and complete trash. There's, it's just, it doesn't have a single redeeming quality to it. The hero is this cardboard Yahoo who isn't even as good as Buck Rogers, and it's, uh, it's semi-racist. I mean, his, his, his right-hand man is this black guy that he rescues, and it's, it's like step and fetch it, and it's there's just nothing good about this book. There's nothing good about it. And I'm thinking, my God, this is the book that changed my life. You know, without <laughs> without Spacehawk, there would be no Roger Rabbit. Wow. So I, I called John and I said, did you read it? He said, yeah, I did. I said, what did you think? He said, well, it wasn't very good. <laughs> and one of us, I, we still argue over which one, but one of us said, you know, it's a shame that we can't rewrite it the way we remember it instead of the way it really was. Uh-huh. And uh, so we we started doing that. It took us about two years. Uh, and we came up with a book called Space Vulture, um, which is nothing whatsoever like Space Park. I mean, there's, there's no similarity. We kept the names of a few of the characters. Hawk Kars is the hero. But uh, the story itself is a totally different story, much better. And um, it, it was it, – it got phenomenal reviews. It got uh, – the New York uh, New York Times printed an article about the five pulp science fiction novel, five best pulp science fiction novels ever written. Wow! And there was there was an Asimov, a Heinlein, and ours. And uh, you know we get fan letters from two two segments. We get fan letters from guys our age who say, "Wow, I didn't think anybody would ever write a, a novel like this anymore because it's a you know it's a throwback pulp yeah. science fiction." Novel. And then. These guys all say, oh, so I gave it to my son or my grandson or whoever. And we're now, we get letters from young people say, wow, this is really, you know, great, great book. Uh, So, you know, we did that. There's a lot of pressure on us to do a sequel to that. Uh, I don't know if either one of us has the time. Uh, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing a uh, 26 episode uh, animated TV series right now, which uh, contractually I can't I can't tell you anything about. <laughs> um, I can't tell you the name. I can't tell you where it's going to be. I can't tell you anything about it except that it's just hilarious, and uh, it's uh, going to be all animated, um, as as funny as anything you'll see on Roger Rabbit. Um, I'm working on that. Uh, I'm I'm working on a movie. Uh, actually, uh, two of my books, two of my early books, uh, Killer Bowl, I did a, uh, which is still my most popular science fiction now. I get, I get hundreds of fan letters every month about Killer Bowl nice. from people who say, oh, I, you know, I, I read it when I first came out and I just picked up a dog-eared copy and I reread it again and it's, it's just wonderful. Uh, so I rewrote that uh, as a science fiction novel, uh, science fiction movie called Street Lethal. 
and uh, my producers are, are still on that one around. Nice. They sold my uh, third novel, The Resurrectionist, uh, as a movie. Um, I, you know, I, I probably won't get much involved in those, but kind of keeps me busy. Yeah. And then uh, I'm also working on, of all things, uh, a horror novel, uh, which is a totally brand new genre for me. So new that I might write it under a pseudonym. Uh, my, my pseudonym is Michael Henry. <laughs> which, um, for some odd reason, is what my mother called me when she got ticked at me. Whenever, whenever my mother was angry at me, she said, "Michael Henry, you come here right now." <laughs> I have. No, she, I mean, she, she passed away years ago, and I, I never asked her, "What's with Michael Henry?" You know, who the, hell is, who the hell is this? Is this your, your fallback name in case I was a girl? I don't. I have no idea. You know, Michael Henry, you come here right now. So I use that for my uh, for my pseudonym and. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm working on that. Plus, I'm, I'm working on a uh, science fiction movie uh, that's a, a really humorous uh, kind of a science fiction project. I honestly don't know if or when I'll ever have time to do the fourth Roger Rabbit novel. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, you know, funny things happen. Yeah. 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 Well, keep us in mind whenever you get the uh, – oh, go ahead to talk about the cartoon series, and we'll post about it and try to get – Absolutely. You know, by then, by then we'll probably have Skype uh, that you don't even need to, to – you know, it'll just be embedded in your head. You know, <laughs> <Skype. laughs> it's uh, inter, or something. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the cartoon series, my guess is they will announce that um, – uh, let's see, was this, this 2015? Yeah, they'll probably announce it in – 2016, and you'll probably see it on the year in 2017, okay. 2018. Okay. But uh, since I'm since I'm talking about it first here, I've never told anybody else about this. I'll give you guys first shot, and uh, we'll talk about it at length. Yeah, do that. Sounds great, That'd be great. But yeah, Gary, this has been tremendous. Uh, first, you know, thank you for creating Roger Rabbit, but more importantly, thank you for creating Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, whenever I go anywhere, uh, I. Teenage boys bow down in front of you. <laughs> yep. and we are not worthy because of the fact that we created Jessica Rabbit. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, uh, you know, Jessica Rabbit, when, when I grew up in Earlville, the laws of genetics went completely awack in Earlville. And the boys outnumbered the girls by 35 to 1. So, you know, good luck getting a date if you were the president of the chess club, right? So, uh, when, when I when I grew up and started writing, especially after I did Jessica Rabbit, uh, Jessica Rabbit is the girl that I would have dated in high school had I, you know, had any shot at all at getting a date. <laughs> and um, I based her on Red Hot Riding Hood, the Tex Avery character. Uh, oh yeah, okay. And, yeah, and uh, a little bit on uh, uh, Tinkerbell. I, I see Jessica Rabbit yeah. as Tinkerbell. Kind of grown up and funky. I can see and, that. And uh, you know, when I was talking to the guy that actually uh, developed Tinkerbell, he told me, Mark Davis. Mark told me that when he was designing Tinkerbell, that he did live nude life studies of Marilyn Monroe. She came in and posed for him wow. nude, and he used those nude nude photos, nude drawings of Marilyn Monroe. To do Tinkerbell, so there's a direct line from the rope to Tink to Jessica Rabbit, wow. right? But you know, Jessica Rabbit, 
my idea of the perfect woman, right? So whenever I would I would tell that to Hollywood executives, and then you know they say, well, and maybe maybe you should stick to writing uh, Turkish prison movies or war movies where you don't have to deal with the feminine issues. You know, so anyway, I I, I tell you, we just got back from uh, China not too long ago, and. Um, I was doing some lectures to animation students in Shanghai. And uh, whenever I would uh, talk, and of course, I, you know, I was speaking English and they were translating to Chinese. And when I was uh, uh, talking about Jessica Rabbit, they, were, they would say something in Chinese and everybody would laugh. And every time I said something, Jessica Rabbit, they say something in Chinese, everybody would laugh. So afterwards I said, you know, why are they why are they laughing every time I say Jessica Rabbit? They say, well, in China, they refer to Jessica Rabbit as big melons. So, <laughs> so my, my life has been a success. <laughs> oh, that is great. Three billion, three billion Chinese can't be wrong, right? <laughs> well, all right, Gary, that's, that's pretty much all we've got, unless you had any other like conventions coming up that you wanted to plug or anything. No, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I'd love for people to go to my website, www.garywolf.com. Uh, Who Whacked Roger Rabbit is now available. Uh, you can get it on Amazon.com. And it's uh, it's got a lot of five-star reviews. If, uh, uh, you know, if you, if you pick it up there, uh, it's reasonably priced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, it, it just came out as a, a paperback. You can buy it now in uh, at Amazon.com. A real honest to God hard copy. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I had, I, I, I went with, you know, only digital for a, a while because I thought that was the way book, book publishing was going. But for my fans, uh, they really want my autograph on something. Yeah. And you know, unless I come over to your house and autograph your Kindle, <laughs> uh, it's just not going to happen. No. So uh, we brought. Uh, who whacked Roger Rabbit out now as a, as a paperback. I think it's like 12 bucks. Uh, well worth it. Hilarious. And we have an audio edition. Um, you'll, you'll see there's a phone number there. It's my phone number at home. You just call me up and I'll read it to you. Okay? <laughs> yeah, this has been amazing. We definitely have to do it again. <laughs> my pleasure. You know, I am so tickled that anybody still wants to talk to me. <laughs> I'm more than happy to talk forever. <laughs> all right, man. We'll talk to you later, all right? All right. Take care. It was a lot right. of fun. Thanks, it was. Guys. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. All right. So I hope you guys really enjoyed that interview with Gary K. Wolf. I really enjoyed doing it. So now it's time to say goodbye. I'm about to go into a song now. I was uh, totally <laughs> waiting for that to happen. <laughs> Jeff, no, seriously, dude. Man, this has been amazing. I've, yeah, I've thanks been... for having me on. This is great. And it was a great interview, too. Thank you. Even though you haven't heard it yet. (laughs) Be quiet. (laughs) But you will. You will hear it on on when it comes out. I know, and it will be great. So exactly, exactly. (laughs) So you want to plug some Twitter or any links or anything, real quick? Sure. You can find me everywhere: Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat at uh, Jeff Heinbuck uh, everywhere. And then you can listen to Communico Weekly on iTunes and also LiveFastDiePoor.com. So check them out. Very cool. Do it. I love it. You'll love it. Gary, he enjoys it. I do. I, <laughs> I would, I, I would even say I love it. I would. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Yeah, so thanks, guys. Jeff, we need to have you on again, okay? 
Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is great. All right, guys. We'll see you guys next time on Saturday Morning Rewind. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks. <laughs>